The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is powered by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop. Join the Quarterly Fly Club today, your source for all things fly fishing. And wait for it films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, check out Wait For It Films on YouTube or at www.theweightcreativeco.com. And Broken Tippet Fly Company. Blog and fishing apparel and accessories. Check them out online at brokentippet.com. You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. Yeah, I was working the water as best as I could. I didn't really, you know, I had no clue what I was doing, and um, the flies I was I was using were quite large. And this gentleman next to me, he came over and asked me what I was doing and what I was fishing with, and. I showed him, so he actually pointed at his wife, who's on the uh, the bank, and she was tying flies. Hmm. And I thought that was so cool, but yeah, she giving me a handful of these little. Um, I think she gave me one pink one and uh, two blue ones, and they were basically handlebars without the uh, the lead eyes. Okay, and he told me right where to go. Told me what to do with my cast and you know let it sink and all of that and first cast i got one no way first cast yeah first cast once he showed me you know explained to me what to do yeah i was basically prior to that i was fishing just above um kind of a drop off and so they were all holding within that drop off so he brought me down a little bit lower Hmm. and yeah sure enough you know with this the help of the sink tip um yeah i started getting into them so well we're going to chat all things podcast today we've got fellow podcaster andrew barony on the show from dead drifters society we're going to talk fly tying crash course and what he's up to with his new show and uh, but first we want to thank the top 10 cities for listening number one slot this week was castle rock colorado followed by surrey bc escondido california was next then colorado springs colorado Arvada, Colorado, Las Vegas, Nevada, Vancouver, BC, Chilliwack, British Columbia, followed by Portland, Oregon, and Denver, Colorado. Thanks, folks, for the downloads. Andrew is coming up next. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. The Fly Crate is an online fly shop where you can save more on flies and gear. Shop between hundreds of unique flies and join the quarterly fly club for hand-picked fly assortments for each season. Exclusively for our podcast listeners, you can save an additional 10% on The Fly Crate by using the code FLYFISH97. Go to theflycrate.com and use the code FLYFISH97 at checkout to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really happy you chose to join us wherever you happen to be listening. And we're going to do what we always do, uh, talk fly fishing, fly tying with passionate people in the fly fishing space. And why not reach out to another podcaster? We've got Andrew Barani on the line. Now, Andrew's out of Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. He has a podcast called Dead Drifters Society. He also does a fly tying crash course. Uh, check him out online. Check out his podcast. So we're going to dig into it a little deeper. Andrew, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. 
Yeah, thanks, Mark, for having me. So I want to know what made you start the podcast before we get into your fly fishing story. What made you go, you know what? I love talking fishing. I'm, I'm going to hit the record button. Um, I don't know. Maybe about a year ago, I was listening to um, The Wet Fly Swung, and uh, Dave there was talking about um, how he kind of got into doing podcasts and how much he appreciated, you know, speaking to everybody. And yeah, mm-hmm. just started about if you think you'd like it, start up a podcast kind of thing. And that always kind of bounced around in my mind. And uh, yeah, recently I just decided to go for it. So love it. Um, started by just a name going. And I was going to ask you about that name. So what made you, how did you come up with the name Dead Drifter Society? I love it. Yeah, thank you. Um, and that one actually took a while. I was bouncing around a lot of ideas. And uh, my girlfriend, she she picks a lot of good names for things. And uh, she mentioned dead drifting. Mm-hmm. And then kind of trickled from that. But I think actually like a week later is when I bounced back to that name. And I was like, yeah, that is it. But I was trying to add West Coast in there somewhere. So I was really fixated on that. So <laughs> that's kind of so long to, to do the turnaround on it. But yeah, no, I, I'm quite happy with the name. Yeah, no, it's awesome. You, I love your logo. Who did that logo for you out of curiosity? Oh, what is that? Fiber.com. There's like, okay. you can basically get anything, um, anything made if you need podcast intro or designs or. Okay. And it's basically anything. And uh, yeah, I just talked with the guy and had to do a few um, alterations a couple of times and there we had it looks sharp i like it a lot so listen uh we're gonna dig into your fly fishing story a little bit before we get back to the podcast uh, because i always like to get a feel for people's day-to-day you know so you know i know obviously you're on the island victoria um let's talk about so you're heading out to the water you're heading out to your favorite stretch or your favorite still water wherever you happen to be going what what's playing in the truck on the stereo on the way there oh yeah um yeah actually a lot of funk (laughs) there was a lot of rap um kind of near the beginning but lately i've been kind of falling off that train and kind of going back to like some rock and roll as well i like to listen to the radio once in a while Hmm. um but most of the times i'm driving someone up so we just talk fishing the whole time yeah yeah, amen to that. So are you fishing a lot of, are you fishing the salt? Are you fishing rivers mostly? You're fishing mostly still water. Like where, what's your wheelhouse? Cause you got a pretty varied scope of, uh, you know, fisheries down there. Yeah. Um, I guess it's a little bit of everything. Um, winter steel heading definitely has a, has a place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, we'll chase, you know, sea runs, we'll chase uh, pinks off the beach, we'll move into the rivers for the coho, we'll try to get coho off the beach, but that doesn't always happen. Well, that would be uh, fun, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it's, you know, it's tough, but when you see the fish coming in, if you can just place that, that fly properly, I haven't had much success with the coho, but definitely with the pinks, we've had some extremely good days. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so if you're fishing, you know, say, uh, one of these other estuaries or you're fishing on the beach, 
what's a go-to pattern for you if you say you're having to be chasing pinks? What what are you uh, what are you tossing out there? Pretty classic. Um, I guess the handlebar for sure. I fish a lot of handlebars actually when I'm on the uh, the ocean, and I've also noticed that uh, even for like um, spring salmon, those little handlebars. You know, if it's a really clear day that's kind of my go-to mm-hmm. uh, California Neels for sure. And then some other concoctions that I whip up at the bench. Don't mm-hmm. always have them, but don't always what yeah. have, don't always have a name for them. Is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Usually little things and you know, yeah, it always intrigues me though. Cause you could be catching fish and then you look over at, you know, someone you've never met and you see their box and it can be completely different, yet you both are in fish. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, as long as it's small and pink for the pinks. Yeah, but yeah, that's a fair yeah. comment. Hmm. Um, are you a sports guy? Let's talk sports. Um, are we? If you are, are we going? Uh, you know, hockey, football, basketball, baseball. Who Who do you cheer for when you're pulling for your favorite team? You know, I'm not actually a sports guy. Yeah, I. Uh, I do enjoy playing some sports here and there, but nothing. Mm-hmm. I never got big into it. Yep. Played soccer a bit, played a bit of baseball, but yeah, uh, I guess rugby as well. And actually, you know what? Volleyball was uh, pretty sweet. I definitely enjoyed that back in high school, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I kind of, I don't know. Maybe it's my attention span or something, but I get distracted or I get bored of it. But mind you, like a good game, no matter what the sport is, a good game where, you know, things are intense definitely intrigues me. Yeah. Um, fill in the blank for me. When you're not fly fishing, what are you normally doing? Oh, that's a good one. I I live on a farm, so there's some there's always something to be doing out here, yeah, whether okay. it's uh, doing some mucking or. Or helping out the family. I have a two-year-old son, so he takes up quite a bit of my time. Right. Uh, yeah. Is this a dairy farm? What kind of farm are you talking here? Uh, it's called Baron B Farm, and mm-hmm. it's a therapeutic farm that we have. We just started up, uh, I guess, last July, and so we got some, um, we got a handful of animals, and the girlfriend and her mother they run programs for um, youth. Hmm. And people with, I guess, maybe not so much disabilities, but just people that need to to connect in a different way. That's really cool. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it really did take off. So it's it's been really cool to watch. And, you know, everyone comes. And half the time, kids just want to pick up the poo. So it's kind of a <laughs> I, I did not expect you to say that. What? No, you. I wouldn't either. You know? <laughs> what kind of animals have you got? Name a few. What, like, like, not necessarily their names, but what species? What do you? What are? What do people like to pet and spend time with to kind of unwind? Yeah. So we got. Uh, well, we got my boy Cosmo. He's a dog, and he is a bit of a star around here. Okay. He always likes to hang out with the groups, but then we also got two ponies, two donkeys four sheep and two goats and oh. we're actually in the process of uh of looking at some of those uh fainting sheep or um goats yeah <laughs> yeah um 
what's the what's the grumpiest one? Is it a goat? You know, it's some. Um, well, the, they all have a bit of an attitude at times. The ponies, they're pretty chill, but when it comes closer to feeding time, they can get a little, uh, hmm. a little pushy. Let's say, um, the two goats definitely kind of herd the the sheep around. <laughs> oh. So, uh, if the sheep go into one stall, then the goats will run in there and kind of kick them out, and they go into the next one and, and yeah. rinse and repeat that process. But do they yeah, leave? The two do they leave behind any fly time material for you? You know, I've I've definitely looked at their fur a few times and <laughs> thought well, I have my uh, my dog's a collie husky, yeah, and so I've uh, I've tied a streamer, and it was successful, but. He doesn't like to take his fur off of him. So. No, no. Probably easier if no. you just brush him, right? <laughs> yeah. But I can make a full new dog after one good brushing. Is that right? When, yeah. Yeah. When he's when the season changes and he starts to uh yeah. to really mat up, then yeah, it becomes lots of good dubbing. <laughs> does he does he herd the goats? Well he tries to, I believe. <laughs> Um, the donkeys, something I learned through this is that donkeys do not like dogs. Huh. And so, um, they've kind of learned to stay away from, let's say that section. Hmm. Yeah. My wife got chased by a donkey one time. We had this donkey would always, if you were running, uh, he chased runners down the road. It was hilarious. But uh, then you'd have to go back all the way, but just otherwise he wouldn't follow you and he'd just be lost. But anyway, I don't know. Why. Yeah. <clears throat> it just reminded me of a story from about 30 years ago. Um, right. Let's dig into um, lessons learned. So if you had to look at, you know, why you spend so much time on the water, why you spend time at the vice, why, you know, you've got this podcast going on. What does fly fishing bring into your world, Andrew? Like, what does it do for you? Oh man. Heavy, right? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Let's clear the the throat for this one. <laughs> um, yeah, when I first I was partying a lot when I was younger and um I kind of moved out of the city and you know, it was a little bit of a drive to get to friends, so obviously, you know, not drinking and driving or anything like that. Um, kind of meant that I was more homebound and there was a lake right next to my house and I had a spinning rod. So I grabbed, you know, power bait and, and worms and, and did a lot of that for almost a, yeah, I would say like a full year I went heavy. I mean, prior to that, I did a lot of ocean and I would, I would uh, fish or sea run cutthroats, um, mm -hmm. on, uh, with bobber and, and worm. And, you know, that was when I was younger. So I had a lot of fun with that. So I kind of fished most of my life. But by this time, you know, I was in my 20s and I was having a lot of fun at the docks, but it was a lot of waiting around. And one day, one of my buddies invited me up to Campbell River to go uh, do some pink fishing. And I had an old fly rod. And I happened to um, pick up 
a reel from a garage sale, you know, handful of months prior. I, I didn't even think anything of it at the time. It was just, you know, a couple bucks or whatever. And so I fitted it up with a, a dry line and, you know, headed up Island and it took me, I think I was casting for about seven hours and, you know, it was more of a lob at that time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was working the water as best as I could. I didn't really, you know, I had no clue what I was doing and um, the flies I, were, I was using were quite large. And this gentleman next to me, he came over and asked me what I was doing and what I was fishing with. And I showed him. So he actually pointed at his wife who's on the, uh, the bank and she was tying flies. Hmm. And I thought that was so cool, but yeah, she giving me a handful of these little, um, I think she gave me one pink one and, uh, two blue ones. And they were basically handlebars without the, uh, the lead eyes. Okay. And he told me right where to go, told me what to do with my cast and, you know, let it sink and all of that. And first cast, I got one. No way. First cast? Yeah, first cast. Once he showed me, you know, explained to me what to do. I was basically, prior to that, I was fishing just above um, kind of a drop-off. And so they were all holding within that drop-off. So he brought me down a little bit lower. Hmm. And yeah, sure enough, you know, with this, the help of the sink tip, um, yeah, I started getting into them. So it took me seven hours the first day. And then I finally landed one after his help. And the next day I went back and I found the same rock I was standing on and I ended up catching seven that day. Wow. That's cool. And yeah, I, basically haven't picked up a gear rod since that's kind of a light bulb moment hey yeah Hmm. you know and watching my buddy was throwing gear out and he got a spring salmon actually the uh the first day so that was pretty cool but he didn't have much luck besides from that and Hmm. you know talking to another gentleman after and he was kind of telling me his story and how he got into fly fishing and i just like I don't know if I just never realized um, kind of the potential or if I even like knew the idea of fly fishing, but for me it became, you know, something that I could dump myself into and, you know, actually get a reward out of it. So I really like fishing with people as well. I enjoy having, you know, a small group of guys or, or whatever and mm-hmm. and heading up on a trip i think that's just you know if, if that's you, the there. if you look back okay obviously uh, this fella helped you out uh, <laughs> along the way you probably don't even know his name maybe you do i don't know but uh you know some random person and then his wife time flies on the shore which is a pretty cool way to start um look back on your learning curve like who's been kind of influential in in teaching you or maybe mentoring you a little bit in the fly fishing space yeah so um my buddy zach from uh from the shop the local shop here robinson's outdoor store yeah uh, he's been a huge part i you know i was uh i went to the cow gin a few times and and tried my luck and i'd get a fish you know occasionally and i remember i was walking through the bush 
and I ran ran into um, another friend who we're still very good friends and we fish quite often. And um, so I'd fish with him a little bit. He like I asked him if I could come and and hang out with him and see the runs because I just didn't know the area at all. And so we went out and maybe a month or two later, uh, we did this little switch around where my buddy had to leave and my other buddy, Zach just showed up. And so, yeah, he's been a big help. You know, I, I always bounce ideas off him and every fly I tie, I send it to him. And do you think this will fish? I, I already know it's going to fish and that, you know, one day I'll catch a fish, but hearing him says it or say it, um, definitely gives me a bit of a confidence boost. So yeah, he taught me, you know, how to cast a spay rod and, and you know, what the idea behind mending and how to get down and how to slow down my fly. So right. And the first year I was fishing with him, um, you know, I got the OPST, commando shooting head after having traditional lines only and took me a full season or a full you know i think almost three months of very few trout and i finally got my first steelhead in the river and so well yeah that was uh now that's what i like to do (laughs) yeah i get i could see why um So, well, that's interesting. So obviously between your, you know, uh, hanging out with the family and the little one and, uh, you know, doing stuff on the farm and doing your podcast, is there a day job on top of that? Yeah. Currently I'm doing gutter and soffit. Okay. Um, my buddy owns company, so it's, uh, pretty laid back in terms of, you know, solid job pays well and and good crew there's actually there's three of us and we've all been friends for oh must be almost eight years now yeah and and my buddy uh chella is his name the owner um me and him have been friends for probably 12 years now so plug the company man somebody's out there looking to get their soffits done in in on the island in victoria what's the name of the company it's a uh, Vancouver Island gutter. Okay, cool. Yeah. Man, you don't, do you have much free time to go fishing? It sounds like you'd be pretty busy. Um, you know, it is hard. I did just actually fish, um, two days in a row here. So that was really nice. I went on a drift today, actually. Mm, how was that? It was a pretty tough day doing streamer fishing. We were doing a bit of a, a science experiment with uh, crayfish. Were you on the couch and or? Yeah, we were on the couch and and not many. We got a few chases on the streamers, um, but near the end of the day, we got to this beautiful bank or um, this nice, like, I don't know. There's lots going on. It's a big corner. There's a big back Yeti in the back. There's a nice seam that came down it, a little bit of a log jam at the top, a log jam lower down. And just kind of still water in terms of, you know, still mm-hmm. slightly moving. And so we were fishing that for a bit and we were watching Brown sip. Um, um, it was too small to even tell what they were really eating on. And, 
yeah, so we were trying to do that. And one of our buddies, the guy that was rowing, he went off. He actually ended up catching a steelhead. So that was kind of cool. Hmm. And then, uh, and then my buddy got a brown on a dry fly and on a chubby. And then, uh, shortly after I got one or I got a rainbow on a chubby and then I got, uh, I hooked up with a, a brown, but it popped off. So. Hey, that you know what though? That's early season fishing. Sounds like at least you're getting out and having some success. That's awesome. Yeah. So let let's dig into the podcast, man. Uh, we've got Andrew Berani on the line now. Andrew's out of Victoria. He has a podcast called Dead Drifters Society. Um, he also does a fly tying crash course. We'll dig into that too. But um, who who have you got coming up on the podcast? You can tell us about. Have you got any shows you're working on, or maybe editing, or that we're going to see released next? Yeah. So this Friday, I got um, Connor's Andrew. He's from New Zealand. I actually don't know his last name, I, mm-hmm. but I know his middle name, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we were just talking about uh, brown brown trout fishing out there and kind of the differences. He spent a bit of time on the island, so he knew a few people that he knows. Um, the first person that I, I interviewed, he knew him. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was a really good talk. Um, cool interesting to hear kind of their fishery and how they how they work work about it and and their etiquette rules out there yeah Uh, what's been like the biggest thing you've learned since you started this podcast like um i know for me there's been lots of lessons um and i'm always learning i think we continue to learn as we interview people and kind of find out where to go and 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 it's a fine line between asking questions and listening and and getting making that conversation flow but if you had to look at you know what you've taken away from the first uh, few episodes what what would you say has been kind of the biggest kind of awakening or kind of uh thing you're aware of doing the show well, as far as podcasting goes, when I first started, um, you know, I had a regimen. I had all the questions that I was going to ask written out and mm-hmm. and I guess a lot of structure around it. And I kind of found, well, and through talking with some friends who are listening, they just kind of said, like, you know, maybe try freehanding it a little bit more. Right. And so yeah. – I just that's all I do is I just have a conversation and so I think that's kind of the first thing that I really noticed was it's almost easier and the conversations lead in a better direction just kind of having a good you know conversation yeah um yeah that makes sense I, I do think it's important, though, to have, especially when you, I know when I started, and I still have a structure to the show, but I'm not afraid to jump around and, and kind of see where the guest wants to go. But I I know what you mean. I, you know what I did is I went and I edited. Anytime there was a pause or an um, the first few ones I edited it out, and it's like, it doesn't sound natural. You know what I mean? Like, what I find is when you make mistakes or when people actually like that, it's like does that make sense it's like it's more real you know it can be too polished yeah definitely for podcasting it's like i've made some you know youtube videos just nothing fancy but um you know with youtube you people almost expect it to be well edited right whereas with 
podcast, like you're saying, you know, I, I like when I hear someone, you know, maybe get stumped and, and have to think for a second or, yeah. or just you know, those pauses. I agree with that for sure. It's uh, I think it's important to just have that natural conversation and I'll edit out some things in terms of, you know, if there's an extremely long pause or if there's a loud noise in the background, but yeah, keep it as real as possible. Yeah. I, and, I, I feel that for sure. I agree. I, it's funny. I, I used to listen to this one podcast. I think it's called on being, but it was like, um, she would do two shows. She would do the edited version and then the unedited. And I found the unedited was way more interesting because there was always something weird going on in the background or you could hear her talking to the producer and the behind the scenes stuff, which is kind of cool. I thought. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And it's a way to get two shows out of one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do you, how are you finding lining up guests? Cause that's, I, I think when we start, that's, that's kind of a, I don't want to say it's a hurdle, but it can be a little bit of work. Um, what's that process been like for you? Uh, so far it's been pretty good. Um, most of the people I've asked have said yes. Uh, there's been a couple that, you know, said yes and then didn't really reply or whatever. And mm-hmm. I just kind of chalked up to maybe it just wasn't their thing, which is fine. Absolutely fine. Um, but no, as far as, you know, I've followed a lot of the people that I've um, interviewed for a, a bit or, or you know, found them recent enough and was kind of amazed with what they were doing and, and just asked. That's yeah. actually something else I've learned is, you know, I guess I used to slightly make um, a big deal about, you know, certain people in my head. And so I've actually kind of come away from that where now I, you know, we're all humans kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I guess that's a little bit of a confidence boost uh, too. Well, so. I think, I think the genre that you're into, people are pretty approachable. It's not like you're interviewing, you know, professional athletes or rock stars or, you know what I mean? Like sometimes the, those interviews are not easy to get, but uh, when you're talking about fly fishing circles, everyone's pretty sharing and, you know, um, pretty forthcoming with information and, and happy to jump on and promote what they're up to. Cause it's kind of a win-win in my mind. Yeah, no. And you know, ask someone about fishing and, and they can generally go on for quite some time. Yeah. And there may be some lies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do find that, uh, most of the time I'm almost, I am watching the clock a little bit and, and trying to steer it to, to have, you know, an hour and not go over too much i mean right i did do recently that was two hours but a friend of mine actually asked me to do it longer and he's one of my listeners so i listened yeah <laughs> i i like the long form conversation because you cover more ground and what i do is i put them on a lot of times when i'm at the time bench um so it's like you know you might be there for a couple hours and and or if you're on a drive and I think a lot of us kind of listen to podcasts based on the trip. So if your commute is 30 minutes, yeah, it might be listening to 30 minute podcasts a lot, a lot of the time, but it's, uh, it's pretty cool, man. Like, I, I don't know what we did before all this media, because think about it, man. When we're trying to learn to fly fish or learn how to tie patterns, now we got YouTube and we get, we, we're inundated with information, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. No, it's really convenient when you can, you know, 
going to go do a certain or uh, hunt a certain species and you don't know too much about it and you can at a click of a button yeah find out a little bit about it tell me about your fly tying crash course what's that all about uh yeah so i just you know i love tying flies and um i kind of realized that there is just a good amount of um you know tricks that had really helped me out and i found a lot of them on youtube but through years and you know i look back at some of my old flies i was actually just in a an old box that i kind of forgot about and i was looking at my flies and i was like wow we've we've come a long way you know <laughs> yeah every season i feel like i'm you know i look at the last year's flies and i'm like all right those are all coming out and uh i almost start over not so much anymore now i can be satisfied or you know it's a pattern that i've proven or or that is proven and and i like it so we'll mm. keep them there but you know like when i first started lake fishing um i actually took a, a fly fishing university course from um phil rowley and jordan ulrich yep and so and i did a chronomid one as well prior to that and you know even just learning about being able to flatten your thread out and to make the slender bodies and mm -hmm. you know that that was a big step in my chronomids if you looked at my old chronomids you would uh well you probably wouldn't want to fish them <laughs> well the, i i agree with you like every year I, and I know what you mean by, by, you know, they're maybe not as good as what you're doing right this second, but they're still fine. Right. You get, yeah. you get the critical eye. It's like, well, this one's not making the cut. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, the fish don't really care. Yeah. But, and yeah. I mean, still catching fish, just maybe not as much or, yeah. you know, at least now I find with fly fishing, having confidence, um, you know, under your belt is a huge thing. And so, you know, if I'm fishing a fly that I don't like, let's say, which doesn't really happen, but you know, or, or one, I'm unsure if it would, it would work well. Uh, I definitely don't put as much time and effort into it yeah. to like fish it and, and attempt. So I find that, you know, if there's anything it's confidence, you know, I wouldn't want to be, you know, obviously I wouldn't want to be fishing with no confidence, but yeah, knowing no. that the eye is at least good looking and that it'll fish well or, or swim well, yep. definitely makes me believe it. If, and if you don't have confidence in your fly, you're usually surprised if you get a hit, but if you go like, this is my go-to, I used this here before, I know it works. Just, is there something about that confidence that sooner or later you're going to get a hit? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And that's like a big, you know, I, I used to use YouTube a lot. I still do look up patterns and, and do that. But I mean, as far as like streamers and bait fish, I'll look at the picture of the natural and, you know, kind of just judge off of that. Yeah. So you know, sometimes they turn out great and sometimes needs a lot of tweaking. And, you know, I like to tie in sets of five generally. Okay. So that my first, you know, let's say it's something I just haven't tied before and I don't really have a clear image in my head. Um, 
you know, by the third one, it'll be pretty dialed. But by that fifth one, that's kind of the pattern I like and, and I'd have the most confidence with. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's not something you tie every day. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a lot of patterns out there. So, you know. We're chatting with Andrew Birani from Victoria, BC. He has uh, the host producer of the Dead Drifters Society Fly Fishing Podcast. Um, what's on the uh, What's on the radar for this coming season? Do you have a lot of fishing trips planned? Are you Are you, are you just trying to free up the sked because you're coming into some pretty good fishing? I would imagine over the next couple of months. Yeah, so I actually just landed my uh, first fish on the dry fly uh, yesterday and then again today. So dry fly fishing is definitely coming up. So there'll be definitely a handful of days up at the Cowgen. And um, next month, April, beginning of April, we're, uh, me and the boys, it's my birthday on April 2nd. So we'll be celebrating. Happy birthday. Early. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, we'll be celebrating that in uh, Powell River, doing some lake fishing and thing, and just hanging out, really. So, yeah, definitely excited for that one. It's been a, you know, I've done some fishing off the island, um, mostly Alberta ice fishing. So, Hmm. yeah, I've been kind of itching to get off the island and and do some fishing. But, you know, with steelhead, um, wanting go off the island to go do that and with the numbers kind of being the way they are and and all that it just hasn't really worked out but yeah not to mention travel last couple years has been limited yeah yeah. it's been a little silly but things are coming back it feels like we're back and uh i i know hotels where i'm at it's it's hard to book anything right now people are really um looking at you know, I've been cooped up for a while. It's like, uh, let's get out there. And, and the outdoors, let's face it, that's there's no safer place to be as far as the space, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that was kind of a big thing, too. The last few years, there's been quite a bit of fishing. You know, I've fished my way up the island for chasing salmon and, and looking for some summer runs. Yeah. Um, I get- yeah, so it's been, it's been quite a learning curve in general, you know, and, and just seeing the different techniques and what other people are using and, and their thoughts on how, how the fisheries are and and what's the best thing to do for them and all that. So it feels like we've been doing more talking and less fishing the last couple of years. And I know the, the fly tying patterns and the amount of material I'm seeing come off the fly tying benches around the planet has just been insane. Yeah, there is a lot of talented uh, fly tires out there right now. What do you tie on? Is it, What's your main tool as far as uh, what, what vice are you using? Oh, you know, you got me. Oh, it's all right. Oh, you're going to... What is it? What does the it say? Stone foam, uh, the stone foam. Stone foam? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you... Yeah. How, yeah. Do you, how do you like it? I really like it. I got the uh, the little bit more expensive ones. So the different, I, I like to do a lot of tube flies. That's something I'm quite, you know, I, I really like tying tube flies, doing uh, dubbing loops and composite yeah. loops. One of my favorite things to just spin it up and watch it do its little thing. Yeah. So 
having the uh, the head that's interchangeable has definitely been, you know, and I, I started on a very basic. I, I picked up um, after I did the, the pink fishing in Campbell River, I picked up uh, one of those Cabela special, you know, fly tying kits, the beginner one. And, you know, there's a handful of tools, actually, I still use from that because, you know, as far as the bobkin and yeah. and uh, finisher and all that, those were perfect. The deer hair stacker, those work great, obviously, pretty simple. But having a rotary vice at this point and just being able to kind of twirl things around a lot easier, um, yeah. you know. That's, that's yeah. a good piece of advice because that, let's face it, a beginner's kit is a good way to get going, but let's face it. The reality is, is that vice that comes with that kit is probably not going to be your forever vice. No. And I did have one other vice. I can't remember the name of it, but, um, it was pretty basic and mm -hmm. I found that it just wouldn't hold the hooks or I don't know if I'm just, you know, he man when I'm trying to, <laughs> you're breaking them off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just pop them off yeah. and then I yeah. have, you know, the fly sitting beneath me and yeah and all that so having um you know quality jaws to really clamp down on on the hooks yeah especially when i'm doing the the streamer um flies i'm using you know gsp 100 and just cranking down on those so having something that'll you know hold those bigger hooks is very yeah. convenient yeah, no, for sure. And I, I think a lot of those cheaper vices too that come with some of those kits, um, they, the, the jaws aren't usually as refined, you know, so you can't get in and around the hook. They're not usually rotary, um, you know, and they're a little tougher to adjust. And, and the one thing that I, I firmly believe is take the time, spend a little bit of money on the vice because you're really, you know, once you know you enjoy doing it, of course, but, um, it's the main tool and it yeah. needs to be the right one. Yeah. And I found, you know, even having the heavier base, that's actually a large portion of why I went for that one was the large base, um, you know, actually kept the vice in place. So yeah. I found that was a, a big thing for me, not having the vice kind of slide around as I'm trying to do whatever I'm doing. So you've got but, like the pedestal, or is that what you mean? It doesn't clamp on. It's not a clamp. No, it's not the clamp. It's yeah. it's a pretty wide. I don't know. It's like ten inches by hmm. six inches or so, and quite thick and large, and has yeah. the little holders or whatever the little hook holders. Nice. But all those components now are just filled with deer hair and and <laughs> just you know, yeah. I could clean my whole fly tying area. And the only thing that would stay a mess is those little trays within the base. And, you know, I'll, I'll look and I'll be like, oh, man, there's like 10 different colors of beads and all these different hooks. But, yeah, I'd, that's the one thing that stays messy at all times. <laughs> What's your go-to thread? Is there a brand you like? Yeah, well, I haven't really bounced around too much. I stick with the, the GSP for, you know if I'm tying eggs or any streamers, um, yeah. tube fly. And then, um, yeah, the UTC for, uh, UTC 70 for chronomids and any small nymphs. And then the, the UTC 140 
for uh you know anything kind of like my salmon flies anything i want color on them yeah yeah so do you use markers much i do um yeah especially with the the uh, gsp since it's a a white thread or at least i buy the white one i know it comes in Mm -hmm. black um but i use the white one so um before i do my whip finish maybe like I'll run, you know, a red marker down three, four inches just to get a you know, a red whip finish. Yep. Uh, but also when I make my my um, minnow patterns, I'll use the uh, the marker. Like I'll put a little bit of um, um, oh, what's that glue? The UV glue. There you go. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Like the resin. Yeah. Well, I was, I yeah. was going to ask you that. Like, so, like, some people like that Zappa Gap. Some people use super glue. Some people use uh, hard as nails. Um, you know, there's so many different ways to go about it. Is, is there a specific brand of UV that you like to use? Yeah, it's a, it's a head cement out of, well, for let's, let's say for head cement. Um, <clears throat> I can't remember the name of it. But it's out of Europe, and a lot of those guys use it for their chronomids because it gives it this like nice sheen look to it. Right. Has a real finish, and it really penetrates uh, quite deep. So that's what I'll use for, let's say, chronomids or or anything kind of small. But if I'm like my streamers, I douse the uh, the the shank with super glue before I put the dubbing on and all that. Hmm. to really hold down that's you know i i remember one day on the lake i was fishing and i i got a fish and then probably like two hours went by and i was casting and and um trolling and just you know trying anything to catch a fish and finally i go to look at my my hook and it is just a hook you know (laughs) no material left on it and so ever since then it's uh anything to keep that you know all the materials on i take the extra steps because you know if a fly can last me i have some flies that you know don't break down yeah and you know especially if they're synthetic materials or whatever they're you know i mean i guess they eventually break down but yeah i know probably they're durable probably yeah they're durable yeah probably lose it before you know, it breaks apart. Have you had so, anything super weird happen to you in your time on the water that, that comes to mind? Like, you know, since you started fly fishing, you're not going to believe this, but this actually happened. Oh, I mean, I have had some pretty interesting moments. Um, some things that like always surprise me is, you know, a terrible cast where, you know the whole line loops together or whatever and and as i'm ripping that in to like go for another cast how to fish you know hit it and just been so shocked like man that was just the worst presentation (laughs) yet you want it yeah so that's one but you know i've seen a lot of uh a lot of wildlife and that kind of you know i i love seeing you know bears but not too long ago, I guess last season, um, or maybe last April actually, so a bit ago, um, I was fishing and my dog started barking 
and I looked across the river and I saw what I thought was, you know, maybe a river otter or something. And as it got closer to the shore, I realized that it was actually a cougar. Oh, gee. So I got to watch it get out and shake off and take a look at us. And of course my dog's going nuts, but he's, he's sticking right by me. He's really good at that. He just barks a lot. And, um, so that was a really cool experience to see a cougar cross the river. Yeah. And, you know, but if we, you know, if I'm thinking back on, you know, some crazier events, I think of uh, chronomed fishing on the lake. And I remember this one season, they just put black water in our, in one of the lakes close to my house at the time. Okay. And we normally get the Fraser Valley. So, yeah. They just, you know, they hit differently. They're not that aggressive and they don't really fight, you know, anything too crazy. But they put the black water in and I was fishing chronomids. And it was just, it was so, yeah, the, the water was basically on fire. Everyone on the lake was doing good. And so I had two rods going and one rod hit so i set the hook and then i watched my bobber drop down on the other one so i oh. set that and i was like trying to decide which you know which one's the better fish and i ended up putting both rods in my one hand and kind of like crossing them to the <laughs> each other and i stripped them both in and landed them both in the same net wow oh yeah that was a pretty cool experience and they were both you know um, one was like, you know, 16 and the other one was a bit bigger. So that was a really cool experience. You, and, uh, you know, you're dialed in when that's going on. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty crazy, you know, and we're uh, on that lake, we're fishing, um, under an indicator and, or, well, I guess, you know, you could do the naked technique or you could do the, uh, the sinking line. I really like the naked technique, but the wind there kind of gets funky for that. So generally sinking line, but. Yeah, it's where the all the muddy bottom is. It's about thirty feet down, so you know you're you're fishing quite deep, and there's fish basically all around. At least there was that season, and hmm. you know, so it took me a bit to really get used to you know getting the bottom and getting even just setting the um, the uh, indicator properly so it actually popped. Uh oh, what was that? I dropped my phone. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm leaving that in, okay? <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> and so, yeah, the indicator that one was that one took me a long time to really figure out kind of that sweet spot where it actually popped because you can imagine if you have a 30 foot leader, yeah, um, under the indicator and it doesn't pop, you're doing some weird stuff oh, to yeah. try to get the indicator and and popping yourself but eventually like if it didn't work out i'd pretty much grab the the indicator and like a grenade you know i'd pull the pin and throw it back out and <laughs> that's and that for the best i'm so bad at that uh, i'd say on mine probably 50 percent of the time it doesn't pop i put it in too tight because i hate it when it slips and then you yeah. get ultimately you get a fish and you're uh you're asking buddy in the boat to hey can you grab that pin for me or you know, try not to bust the tip of your rod as you reach for it. Hmm. Yeah, that's a one. I've, uh, yes, there's RIP all the, uh, the fly rods that I've snapped. My bad. 
what 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 is there a brand you like to use anything you're loyal to as far as rods you know i i got some less expensive ones all the way up to the more expensive ones i have uh i actually recently just um snapped the tip of a burkheimer so that was sad Hmm. um i do like sage the burkheimers you know that's a rod i'll get that that is an amazing rod it feels it just feels really nice but if if i were to you know restart everything if i let's just say i had to rebuy all my gear um there would be a lot of echo yeah echo is a great company uh you know it's affordable and the rods i think just handle excellent i've yeah. you know i've had a steel head on a seven weight and landed it um i have the shadow two for the Euro stick there. And, uh, also the carbon XL hmm. three weight and a four weight. And, you know, I, any, any time a friend is getting into fly fishing, um, I always steer them towards the echo because I think, you know, like Sage is great, but obviously for someone starting a fast action rod like that is, is a little bit much, and obviously they don't want to go spending a thousand dollars on a rod yeah. if you know, they're not a hundred percent sure, but mm. yeah, quality wise and warranty wise echo's got it going on. You yeah, know? I agree. I, I have uh, an echo that I really like. And I, I think that price point is, is reasonable. Anytime you can get a lifetime warranty, you know, in the, uh, say between, I don't know, 200 and, four hundred dollar range i think you're, you're probably going to have something you're going to want to fish for a long time and I, I think too that as we move up in those price points you start splitting hairs at the end of the day if it works for you you don't have to go to fifteen hundred dollar rod it's are you really going to notice the difference you know yeah i think that's debatable uh, just being honest but um yeah i kind of you know i, I like brands so yeah i have a friends and one person will be like, oh, I just got a sage. And sure enough, soon after, someone else in the group is going to get a sage because, you yeah. know, I really recently have gone out of that, that uh, I guess, almost like a show-off war between friends. <laughs> or Like, I got everything I need. I don't need another rod. Yeah. I don't need a reel right now, you know. I, I, I remember when I went and bought a Orvis Helios and Buddy's like, you spent how much on a fly yeah. rod? And I'm like, well, you know, it's not something I'd normally do. It's something I do a lot, pretty passionate about it. It's not like we just, you know, do this once in a while. I think, you know, yeah. it, when you start looking at, okay, what does a set of golf clubs cost? Or what does a, you know, a good pair of skis cost? Or what is, whatever. It's like... um they got a lifetime warranty, <laughs> you know, yes, it is a lot of money, but, um, if you're out there a lot, you're probably, it's probably going to, you know, be a little easier to cast and, and maybe a little more sensitive. And I know I, I, I like to fish a lot of longer rods, like in the 10 foot. What, what do you, what are you using? Uh, I know you like the echo, but, um, are we talking nine foot? Are we talking tens? Are we talking shorter? Yeah. So I'm in the same boat. I like a 10 foot rod. Um, ideally, you know, if, yeah, 10 to 11 for, let's say Euro nymphing or dry fly fishing. Yeah. I like that extra little bit of tip for sure. Um, as far as my spay rods, I have an 11 foot and a 12 foot 
Mm. So I think it's a 12 foot six, but uh, yeah, I, I like the longer rods, especially for, you know, you get that extra little bit of distance just right off the bat and, and that tip section having a sensitive tip to me is, is very important. Like I have, um, I have two nine foot sages and they're great. I, I do like them. One's the bolt and the other one's the, um, the foundations mm-hmm. and I do love them, but their tip section is pretty stiff compared to, you know, the all obviously compared to the Euro stick, but even towards, uh, my Remington 11 or my 12, 11 Reddington. Yeah. 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 So yeah, there's not much, you know, you get that feel of the fish or, or little ticks on the bottom and you just know to lift up or, yeah. or set the rock. So that to me is very important. And then hmm. my five weight and my six weight, which are the nine foot, I use those generally for either streamer fishing or uh, dry fly fishing. Yeah. Makes sense. You're fishing yeah. some pretty big water too. I mean, some of those rivers you're targeting can, they can have some volume of water moving. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's where the two handed comes in. I have, um, two, two handed rods. Yeah. So I'll generally use like during the winter, if I'm swinging, that's what I'm using is, is those longer rods for specifically just getting a little bit further. Mind you, you know, I'm sure you know this, but the trout are never out that far. And if they are, it's once in a blue moon that they actually bite that deep yeah. out there. Yeah. I like to th- those nice long casts and, you know, you get a really good dead drift and, yeah. and this wing makes you feel good. Well, we know it's all about the dead drift. Hey, thanks. Yeah. For, thanks for coming on the show, man. Where can we find your podcast? So we've got Andrew, Barony on the line, a Dead Drifter Society podcast. Um, he's also got a fly tying crash course. Check him out. Uh, are you, uh, you know, all the usual uh, listening platforms? Yeah, so I'm on uh, Spotify, Apple, and Google. Yep. And um, yeah, definitely on the Instagram. That's where I make kind of my posts and, and talk to people. Andrew, what's your Instagram handle again? It's uh, it's just Dead Drifters Society, all one word. Yeah, love it. Yeah, nice and simple. All right, my friend. Well, I appreciate you doing this. I wish you a great season on the water. Keep up, you know, keep up all the good work with the show. We'll all be listening, and uh, let's touch base in the near future and uh, do this again. Yeah, for sure, man. Thank you for having me on. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.